Good morning. This is Spin Class. We're talking politics. Your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com, and on the NSN app around the world. And once again, so much going on in the world of politics. The primaries this week, Nebraska, West Virginia, following up on last week's Ohio and Indiana primaries. Uh, the May season is definitely upon us, as well as you know some other Odds and ends, but first and foremost, we're going to start off this week with uh, an interview with Iris Stoll, the former editor of the Harvard Crimson, which uh, has endorsed the boycott divestment sanctions movement for the first time, and that has created a lot of controversy within the ivory tower of the Ivy League. And this is Spin Class, and we are talking to Ira Stoll, the managing editor of Education Next, a education policy journal at the Harvard Kennedy School, as well as a former editor-in-chief of the Harvard Crimson, the student newspaper that is in the news, and we'll get to that in a second. He's also a columnist for the Algeminer, which our listenership is very familiar with, and was at the New York Sun for many years, is where I first met him, and we became, uh, we, we engaged uh, both politically and practically, and Ira maybe is even still, the forward. I think we first met at the forward. Maybe even the forward. Okay, I was going to. Well, late I, 90s. I, I, I didn't know if people wanted to know about your left wing uh, leadings, Ira. That was when but... the forward was right wing. <laughs> I left. I left, and, and it all changed. Okay, so and Ira is also on the overseer board of overseers of the Harvard Crimson. And why are we talking about the Harvard Crimson, folks? We are talking about the Harvard Crimson because they have decided to go there. They have decided to endorse the BDS movement, boycott, divestment, and sanctions. And there has been a blowback, and it is now in the news. We finally get to talk about Harvard here on this show. So, Ira, welcome to Spin Class, and tell us what's going on. Well, the Crimson, out of the blue, published this. Well, not really out of the blue, actually. Um, there's been a, a pattern, a building pattern of anti-Israel, anti-Semitic hatred and invective on campus. Uh, the most outrageous of which, until this editorial, was the erection during Passover of an art installation slash apartheid wall in the middle of Harvard Yard, this enormous monstrosity with panels that say Zionism is racism and white supremacy. And, but really it had been a whole year of Palestinian visible activism Cheer led by the Crimson News Columns, um, and with some pushback from Jewish figures at Harvard, the 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 chaplain at Harvard Hillel, Rabbi Jonah Steinberg, actually went to Memorial Church and called out Harvard on on this these activities, um, and as and but but um, the. Palestinian students turned that into its own offense. But anyway, this editorial is outrageous. Uh, you know, they just full out endorsed this 
Palestinian student activism and apartheid wall. It was published the morning after Yom HaShoah and called for a boycott of the Jewish state, uh, said just fully endorsed the BDS movement. Um, and, and it was a reversal of longstanding Crimson editorial position. The paper had published a couple of previous editorials uh, denouncing the BDS movement of, as, as oversimplifying the Palestinian-Israeli conflict and, and being counter to academic principles of free expression of ideas. And, and uh, it set off that, that editorial was passed unanimously by the Crimson editorial board, as far as I can tell, although I haven't been willing to release the vote, but it set off a, a furor of reaction from Harvard alumni and faculty. And yeah, I mean, that that's what's going on here. And a former president, Larry Summers, who has become more and more outspoken on various issues since he has retired as Harvard president, but a very tepid response from the current Harvard president, uh, I would imagine. Right. So the current Harvard president, Larry Bacow, is a, a a proud Jew. He put up a mezuzah on the Harvard president's house and um, had a uh, had his conservative rabbi, who he has a warm relationship with, deliver the priestly blessing at his Harvard inauguration as president of Harvard. Um, and, and, uh, you know, back position has been that the Crimson is an independent student newspaper. It's not formally, for, for, formally, uh, endorsed by or affiliated with the university. Um, he certainly, he, he said that academic boycotts overall are run whether it's of China or any other country run counter to the spirit of free scholarly interaction. But uh, yeah, some have been hoping he's been pushed uh, publicly by various activists to take a stronger position in somehow denouncing or fighting back against this. Okay. So let's, if we can put this into context and let's I, the, the average person, I guess, in our community, meaning uh, the listenership here, which is primarily Orthodox Jewish. Um, yeah. Harvard is kind of for many people. Yes. They know people who may have gone to Harvard, but it's a little bit of an abstract notion. I know that a lot of people kind of dismiss this. Okay. We, this is the woke liberalism ivory tower. You know, they're all anti-Israel because everybody on the left is anti-Israel. They're all left, et cetera. And why should we actually care? Does does this matter? I mean, from my perspective, obviously, it matters because we're talking about it. And, you know, who, we're t- but why, as your former editor, you, you understand the editorial process as well as the fact that the people on this editorial board are most likely influencers and influence makers of the mainstream sort for the many upcoming years and many upcoming decades. So why, you know, who are they, you know, how, how do we come to this? How do we come to people getting this so wrong? And, and why does that matter? Right. Well, traditionally Harvard turns out the, the nation's leaders. Um, one of my predecessors of the, uh, uh, as president of the Crimson was Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Um, another was Don Graham, the, the, CEO of the Washington Post company. Um, 
An- another was Jeff Zucker, the president of, until recently of CNN. Um, the 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 newly named executive editor of the New York Times, Joe Kahn. Uh, while I was there, my colleagues on the paper included Gina Raimondo, who was governor of Rhode Island and is now the now the Commerce Secretary. Um, shortly after I came through, uh, Pete Buttigieg, uh, who, who's now the Transportation Secretary, and um, Senator Tom Cotton, uh, Republican of Arkansas, uh, uh, were, were on the paper. So, so you know, Harvard, much as some people would like to say it's irrelevant, does educate the future leaders of of America. And when the Crimson takes a position like this, I mean, besides just being an example of bad journalism by by failing to recognize the facts about the BDS movement or or Israel's right to basic right to exist, um, it gives all the rest of the Harvard students kind of permission to act in this way towards Jews and Israel. And to me, like that just contributes to like a climate of rising anti-Semitic violence um, and just hostility towards um, towards observant Jews uh, in a, in elite sectors of American society. It's very troubling. Okay, Dangerous. Let's pick up on that for a second. The elite sectors, the people who should know and should know better and are highly educated seem to have either misunderstand or willingly uh, are, are willingly blind to what the BDS movement is all about. I mean, it's it's pretty clear that the BDS movement does not believe in a state of Israel. It does not believe in a two-state solution. It does not believe in peace with two countries living alongside each other. So from a very basic perspective, is it ignorance? Is it willful ignorance? Is it just a, a willingness to get along or the intersectionality? I mean, there's so many things that I'd like to understand here about the mind of this Crimson editorial board, which I understand is is literally dozens of people, if not 80-something people. I mean, it's like a huge group of, peop- group of people, group of students. I mean, these yeah, are supposed I, to be the I best think, of the best, right? The best of the brightest. I think, I think ignorance is... Definitely a factor. I mean, somebody who read that editorial remarked to me, like, it's just a bad editorial to, it doesn't even attempt to engage with the standard arguments against BDS and rebut them. It's almost as if the students just had never even encountered those arguments. Like they haven't been challenged. Um, So I don't know whether they've just lived such a sheltered, life in a in a liberal uh or far left thought bubble um that they haven't encountered these arguments from their peers or their professors um or other reading that they've done but um we're doing our best to change that by pushing back vigorously with uh with letters uh, uh, you know denouncing this editorial and explaining to them why they're wrong so you're on campus and you talked, I guess, still, and uh, you're still associated with Harvard, I've obviously, for many decades. 
what is the, I mean, we always lament the lack of Hasbara and the lack of that Israel is always on defensive and on the college campus. I guess the more elite of a campus you get to possibly, I don't know if there is a correlation, but the more elite uh, you get, the more Israel being more defensive uh, in a more defensive posture. And you're extending it actually even to Jews. I mean, because we've seen actually in certain campuses that there's protests, I think at Princeton uh, a couple weeks ago on, on Jewish holidays on Pesach, they had a protest outside the Hillel having nothing to do, of course, with, you know, any Israeli uh, function, but you know, where, I mean, how does this, how does this get countered? I mean, if you, if people are willing, if these people who are at the elite positions in elite institutions are so willfully blind to facts and to reason, then, then isn't any Hasbara that anybody's going to do? Won't that fall, fall short? I mean, who is the audience that we try to reach with, with some of this uh, f- to counter these fundamental misunderstandings? Well, these undergraduates are still young. I'm hoping that they will learn from this mistake. I certainly made mistakes when I was an undergraduate at Harvard and still had plenty to learn when I was that age. And I still have plenty to learn and make mistakes today. So um, that's kind of the spirit that I'm approaching this in. And maybe it's overly generous. I do think that like... Um, from an institutional perspective, um, you know, more Jews, more Israelis on the campus will help change the climate. I mean, in its article about this controversy, the Crimson said that 5% of their editors are Jewish, and that about represents the campus Jewish population. When I was a student at Harvard College in the 90s, the Jewish population was 20 or 25%. And, um, and that's a policy choice by the university. Uh, if you go look on the Hillel Guide to College Campuses, there are other Ivies that are still at almost 20%. And so, and, and I think those colleges may be more hospitable. Um, you know, so because if if um if a student at Harvard never has a conversation with their Jewish or pro-Israel roommate who's actually been to Israel you know even just like sabbath observance is a thing i was called by a crimson reporter who asked me for a for a phone interview on shabbat she asked the same thing of the harvard chabad rabbi and when i wrote back and explained and and the meeting the graduate council meeting to discuss this editorial is happening on shabbat on zoom so so when i politely dis- explained to her that you know saturday wouldn't be a great day for me to do a phone interview uh she said oh sorry i'll try to be more sensitive i had no idea that saturday was the jewish sabbath and i think she was being honest and, you know, if there, if, but in my day, like there were kids at the college who were, you know, not using electronic key cards or, uh, on Shabbat, or they were, you know, they were, they were taking the steps. They were in a dorm where they could use the steps and not an elevator because, you know, that was an issue for them. And there were enough of those kids around 
that not that it was perfect, but that it would have been unusual for someone to just have no idea about it. So I get. So you're saying the remedy is to is for more Jews to be there. I mean, but what about the competition of ideas? I mean, what about the idea of what about the problem of people are not taking are not well. Let me let me phrase it this way: the people who there are people who are willfully who are willing to go, yes, okay, so you have the Palestinian, you know, Jewish voices for peace and the, and the you know, students for justice in Palestine, the far left people who are the activists and they're out there doing this. Most of the campus, I imagine, is pretty apathetic on, on some of these issues. They're somewhere in the middle. And perhaps the Jewish students are not loud enough. Uh, what, I mean, what is the state of play when it comes down to it? You're saying they're not numerous enough in some ways. But what about the what about the idea of I what about the problem of ideas, the competition of ideas? And the fact is that it seems that those no, we don't want to judge ideas. I mean, what is it about BDS and and the Palestinian issue that is so attractive to people on the progressive left and so toxic that most of the mainstream middle doesn't want to touch it. I mean, the most revealing thing I think is there's a, the study from which the uh, 5% Jewish at the crimson figure was drawn actually includes a pie chart of the religious affiliation of crimson editors and the majority it's not like the majority are christian or devout muslims the majority of these crimson editors are atheist agnostic or none so if you've never read the bible if you don't believe in god then the idea that like the jews have a long history in the jewish state and that it's promised to them by god it's it's just totally foreign to you. So, you know, I, I think like long term, like that's the issue. It's not just that like we need more Jews on the Harvard campus. We need more Christians on the Harvard campus. We, I mean, uh, uh, it's just, you know, I it's it's just um, I'd even take like some devout like Muslims, you know, who who like at least like they're they agree the story like is with Abraham and Ishmael like you know being there at the beginning like like but if you're a nun if you're an atheist like just the whole like thing is just like you know why they can't imagine like why anybody would want to be in Israel or like why anyone would care so deeply about this so it, there's just a huge blind spot when it comes when it comes down to this, and I guess that that would be something that you know perhaps the uninitiated or those who haven't been to an Ivy League campus would find to be very uh, surprising, given the uh, you know given what we expect, I guess, from the best and the brightest of the of and the future of our nation. I want to. Ira, I just one last question for you as uh, it was we run out of time with this. But this obviously is a huge, huge issue uh, where, as, as you said, these are the leaders of tomorrow kind of collaborating in this anti-Israel canard. Uh, what is there a remedy here? I mean, what, what happens 
you know, now they, they've made a colossal mistake. They've made a colossal error, an error in judgment, et cetera. I mean, the editorial, as you've pointed out, is, I mean, it just does, is not borne out by facts. I mean, it, you know, they, they're like inspired by this apartheid wall, which of course accuses Israel of, you know, all kinds of, of, of dastardly war crimes and blood libels, et cetera. But, you know, what happens? I mean, where, where, what's the remedy for, for fixing something like this? If there is one. Well, I've been pushing the Crimson to retract and apologize for that editorial. Has that ever happened? Th- uh, well, they've certainly changed their editorial position. They they did it here. I mean, they, they used to be against BDS and now they're for it. And yeah, I mean, newspapers apologize, apologize and publish corrections all the time. Uh, you know, they exist. That, that newspaper at the moment exists uh, on the generosity of alumni donors and m- many of whom are non-self-hating Jews. And uh, and many of whom are very upset by this, including me. And, um, you know, so I, I think they're going to have a tough time continuing to, you know, to support them, the newspaper. And they have their own building. They have fancy computers. They get paid to work on the paper, all thanks to these alumni. And, you know, I, I think unless we turn this around, I think the alumni are going to lose some patience on the funding front. I hope it will be turned around. Interesting. OK, well, Ira Stoll, the former editor and I guess president of the Crimson back in 1993, uh, going back uh, a couple decades at this point, still associated with Harvard University. Thank you for joining us, educating us about this uh, very, very troubling incident in U.S. higher education going on right now at the famed campus of Harvard University. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Okay. And this is Spin Class, and I want to read the end or part of the statement that the uh, Harvard president said. At the end, I guess just uh, we had discussed the fact that he may not have been as forceful as he should be. And this, you know, lies the conundrum, I guess, facing the university. I mean, it's clear where his loyalties seem to lie, but of course, everybody's afraid you got to be even handed. And somebody do about something like BDS and Israel, where one side is so willing to lie and so willing to stretch and so willing to defame uh, in a way. I mean, it's just, it's incredible the lengths to which these groups go in order to slander Israel. So his statement to the faculty in a faculty meeting, uh, he said, I have advocated against restrictions on international scholarly exchange that have been proposed by our own government in Washington, D.C., especially when it has been targeted at scholars from China. And of course, let's pause for a second. Remember, the BDS people, they don't care, seem to care about the Uyghurs or all the human rights abuses in China. It's entirely about Israel, of course. As an institution, we have to stand unambiguously for the importance and free exchange of both scholars and ideas. Any suggestion of targeting or boycotting a particular group because of disagreements over the policies pursued by their governments is antithetical to what we stand for as a university. Great point. Who amongst us has never agreed with the policies of our own government? Who amongst us would want to be judged or excluded from scholarly discussion, from debate, from participation in activities based upon positions taken by our government? So let me be unambiguously clear. I think academic boycotts have absolutely no place at Harvard, regardless of who they target. Great. I applaud him 
Wonderful. That is a great statement. However, you also, I think, need to be a judge of slander and the things coming from to say these things are just wrong. They're inaccurate. It's ignorance. You're ignorant of history. You're ignorant. The idea, of course, that the BDS movement has and the palace, the Palestinian Solidarity Committee has is that the Jewish people have no connection whatsoever to Israel. Historically inaccurate. And does history matter? Is history part of facts or are people not able to have history? So on the same vein, I want to talk about two little pieces here. Number one, uh, it's kind of unclear, but the Tikva conference, the Jewish Leadership Conference, something that has been going on for several years, excellent conference of the Tikva Fund, uh, conservative-leaning Jewish outfit uh, here, right here in New York City, runs a ton of programming online, uh, some of it religious-oriented, some of it just Western civilization-oriented, or just civilization-oriented, I should say, some of it Israel-focused. Uh, go to tikvafun.org, the Jewish Leadership Conference in the news this week because they had, for the last couple of years, held their conference at the Museum of Jewish Heritage, a living memorial of the Holocaust in downtown Manhattan. And this year, they invited Ron DeSantis, Florida governor, as their keynote speaker. And the museum chose to say, well, you're going to have Ron DeSantis. You are not welcome to have your conference here. He is not consistent with our values. Now, it's their choice. To say such a thing, I would imagine. I mean, it's not a truly public thing. And But they hid behind this idea, the museum, when they made a statement after the Tikva leadership, uh, Eric Cohen and uh, Elliot Abrams, the chairman, who said in the, in the Wall Street Journal and brought this to the fore that we are moving because we've been canceled, essentially, because conservative views are being canceled. Now, there is something to that. Uh, the idea that somehow Ron DeSantis, the Florida governor, I guess because of uh, the don't say gay bill, that somehow that that is too much. Uh, you're talking about somebody, a true friend of the Jewish people and somebody who has spoken out on is issues of importance to the Jewish people. Are we so concerned about the wokeness or the intersectionality or whatever it is? Um, but they did, of course, a couple of years ago have AOC. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez as a speaker there, as they should. There is no, I don't see any problem with the free exchange of ideas. I don't know that you should have a Holocaust denier in a Holocaust museum. There would obviously be an issue with that. So the museum stepped into it and their response was, well, we never signed the contract. We never signed the contract. The contract wasn't yet set with the Jewish. So therefore, there's no issue. We didn't sign the contract. They didn't sign the contract. We never had an agreement to hold the conference there. Now, of course, the fact that they had had the conference there for the last couple of years, and now they are no longer having the conference there, that should uh, that should matter somewhat to it. So I think a terrible job of explaining, if you have to explain, uh, put out a statement that at least makes somewhat sense and makes the case why you feel that the values of a Holocaust museum are inconsistent with having a governor like Ron DeSantis speak there. I can't see how, but at least make the case for that. Don't hide behind the legalities and basically say, we, when it comes down to it, we just don't want conservatives to be speaking in our institution. I know that there is a was a democratic effort. There is a democratic effort uh, at, by Ron DeSantis' Democratic opponent to somehow paint him as a little Hitler. In fact, she said it. She said it publicly. 
it's it's a, kind of shocking, but you know this is the world in which we live, and so that segues us to the new White House spokeswoman. New White House spokesman, uh, John Pierre, uh, who has openly, who openly wrote an op-ed in Newsweek saying that she's happy that, that, uh, sorry, that Democrats should not attend the APAC policy conference. She should, they should not attend the APAC policy conference because this is not consistent with progressive values. And APAC, so let me just read from her op-ed back then in Newsweek. Because when it comes down to it, APAC's policies are not progressive policies. APAC's values are not progressive values. It's time to call a spade a spade. APAC is not progressive. You cannot call yourself a progressive while continuing to associate yourself with an organization like APAC. That has often been the antithesis of what it means to be progressive. I have no idea what she's talking about. I mean, Israel, if in fact, and APAC supports Israel, um, and but Israel is the most progressive country in the Middle East. I mean, has she not been there? I mean, obviously. Does she not? I mean, where does this experience that she's talking about, about progressive, come from? In fact, from people, you know, from many traditional Jews, Israel is too progressive. Uh, and it's, it's clearly, and the idea, I guess, from her perspective is, you know, kind of this bipartisanship. Like, she doesn't want to acknowledge that you should be able to support Republicans and Democrats, much the same way sometimes on people on the right also don't want to support Republicans and Democrats. So it's incredible that this person would now be the White House spokeswoman and, you know, making a big deal about it because she is the first LGBT uh, person of color to hold the hold the post, but to be so wrong again, once again, factually, historically, to really not know, um, you know, to for Corinne Jean-Pierre to not know really to understand the substance, the substance, substantive matter of which she speaks. Once again, it's just this lack of willingness to understand, lack of historical context that many on the left bring to the Israel discussion, much the same way as what's going on in the Harvard Crimson. It's, as I was still pointed out earlier, this is just plain ignorance. Okay, back to the primaries. We are almost out of time. Uh, go- good night, or 50-50 night. And if you're batting 500 uh, in baseball, you're pretty good. I don't know if President Trump or former President Trump has that uh, calculus when he thinks about whether the races that he's doing a He's doing well or not, but he he won in West Virginia, but lost pretty badly in Nebraska, where Charles Herbster, who could not have been more MAGA than anybody else out there, they don't get more MAGA than Herbster. Uh, he basically was entirely Trump, 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 Trump. And that's why I should won. He came in second place in a multi-candidate primary, uh, but he but Trump was encouraged to stay out of the race by Pete Ricketts, the governor who endorsed. Uh, the winner, and it was uh, not a great night in there. Also, his he had taken uh, a he had taken swings at Don Bacon, who uh, in an Omaha seat won, he won his primary with seventy seven percent of the vote. Uh, interestingly, I just will leave you with this: is that Trump came to Nebraska for a rally for Herbster, and the Republican Steve Cool 
Hercule uh, called uh, at that rally. Trump called Bacon bad news, and he had, but and he said nice things about Kuhl, but he didn't actually know Kuhl, and he said, "Good luck, Steve, wherever the hell you are." That's it for this week here on Spin Class. Here on the Nakam Siegel Network, stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Joseph. See you next week. 